with an increasing acceptance of ungodly worldviews, we as Christians are being put in the hot seat. We are faced with the struggle of having to choose between God and man, unity and division, comfort and persecution. Join me today as I converse about one struggle in particular that more and more Christian families are being faced with as an increasing amount of people succumb to the ideologies of LGBTQ. Hi, and welcome to One Little Candle, a place where God's people can come to be encouraged and inspired to be the light that God calls us to be. And when our flame is burning bright, we can't help but light the flame of others along the way. Don't think that you can make a difference in your little corner of the world? Yes, you can, because all it takes is one little candle. I'm your host, Rebecca Bershwinger. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. everyone. As I alluded to in my prelude to this episode, Christians around the world are having to make increasingly difficult choices in their everyday lives. One of those choices that an increasing amount of Christians seem to be facing, especially Christian families, due to the um, growing acceptance and embracing of, of LGBTQ ideologies, have been faced with the task having to decide whether or not they should attend a gay wedding ceremony. I am approaching this from the standpoint that because this podcast is geared toward believers, those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, those who adhere to God's biblical commands, his mandates, and do in fact believe that the practice of homosexuality is indeed sinful. This is for those who believe that the scriptures are the final infallible authority. The problem is I am finding that there are Christians who say that they do believe that same-sex relations are indeed sinful, that they go against God's created order. But yet, (laughs) when the pressure is put on them, due to a close friend or perhaps a family member who has embraced the homosexual lifestyle, is living it, and decides they want to get quote-unquote married, um, and they're being invited to these weddings, as I said in the beginning, they're being put in the hot seat as Christians and finding that they're having to make some choices, some very tough decisions, basically um, God or man. And unfortunately out of fear of discomfort or fear of relational loss, they're trying to find ways to get around some very important things so that they can justify attending a same-sex wedding ceremony. So this episode is basically to try to encourage those who may be feeling the pressure, who may be considering attending one or know someone who who is as as a Christian I just want to to look at this subject through a biblical lens. And so by the end of this episode, 
I pray that if you are at all struggling with this question, with this decision, that you will feel more informed, encouraged, and empowered to obey and leave the consequences to God. So again, foundation, let's look at some Bible verses and see what they say about same-sex relations, because God in his timeless word, he reveals his plan for humanity and his intentions for marriage and sexuality, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, you know, I know one of the common arguments is that, well, whoa, 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 the Old Testament. No, we can't count the Old Testament because those were Levitical laws. Yes, there were Levitical laws in the Old Testament. There were ceremonial laws, okay, but then there are moral laws. And when it comes to marriage and sexuality, those are not any kind of ceremonial or ritualistic laws that God used to set his people apart. These are laws that are transcendent because for, for one thing, they're also reinforced in the New Testament as well. And so while scripture teaches that homosexual acts are sinful, this is not going to be something about condemning those created in God's image, lesbians, gays, transgender people any of those things. And, and we need to offer a lot of grace for those who have strayed from God's will for sex. So we have Leviticus 18.22, which says, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Leviticus 18.22-24, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. And then it goes on about not having one with an animal and defiling yourself. Um, and he says, do not defile yourself in any of these ways, because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. Leviticus 20:13, if a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. So back then, it um, something like that actually called for the death penalty. And honestly, if Sodom and Gomorrah doesn't speak to us, the fact that God had to take, he took two cities and he just wiped them off the face of the map because, hence the name Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah. Again, I know people like to look for other reasons for God to have done this, but it's very clear. It's very clear in the story that you hear about when um, the angels, these men went to visit Lot and um, what the men there were trying to do to these men, okay? Okay. And the fact that it was declared even from Lot's mouth that what they were doing was, you know, it, it was wrong and um, a horrible, horrible thing. He did indeed destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sin of homosexuality. And, you know, not just because they were practicing it, but also because it was legal and permissible. And let's move on to some of the New Testament. And of course, we have Romans 1, Romans 1.27, in the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. This has nothing to do, by the way, with, with rape or any of those other things. I know that they'll try to say that, well, if it's two, you know, loving people who are in a loving monogamous relationship, no. No, the shameful act is the act of just sexual relations with someone of the same sex. Again, they abandoned natural relations with women, the men, okay? And if you go down to Romans 1 verse 32, it says, Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, 
they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And and that's one thing I want to kind of maybe highlight right there is, does the Bible say anything about those who approve of people who do things that God says are shameful or an abomination or just sinful? First Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And there's more, and I invite you to read them for yourself. 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11, Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 5. Um, God just talks about the, you know, sexually immoral, sexual immorality. Uh, you know, by the way, that involves heterosexual and homosexual, Right. There's heterosexual sin, too, which God condemns. Um, All these things are sexually immoral and harshly condemned by God. But Romans 1, I think, is, is a great one to study because it talks about the fact that because people did not honor God, okay, in their hearts, in their minds, they didn't truly honor him. He gave them over to shameful Lust, And then it again says the women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones, and the men did the same thing. It says God gives them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. Again, I know this is a deep subject, and I could go a lot of other places with this right now, but I'm trying to just stay focused on the struggle that Christians have and the pressure they feel in attending a same-sex wedding ceremony. And of course, I am using scripture to bring truth to the forefront and light and encouragement for those who who may be struggling. Because as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Because the Bible is in fact, it's the word of God to us and it is complete truth and there is no compromising God's truth. So that is the stance from which I am I'm am approaching this. And Hebrews 4:12, that's another good one. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And that's honestly why sometimes people flee from God's word because it judges, it brings light into their thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It, it exposes them. And as the Bible reminds us, we like darkness. We um, love our sin, at least those who, who are unrepentant. And sometimes even the Christian struggles <laughs> with loving their sin more than God. And that's something that we need to repent for as well. And, you know, I've witnessed trouble within family units because of the decision whether or not to attend a same-sex ceremony with uh, maybe a close friend of the family or an actual family member. And it reminds me of what Christ said when he said, Matthew 10, 34, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Why is that? Well, 
first of all, the sword that Jesus mentions that he comes with, that's the sword of truth and often hard truths. And if there's division within a family because of Christ, usually it boils down to one side is obeying Christ and the other is not. One side's honoring Christ, the other side's not, and the friction um, comes into play. So again, should a Christian attend a same-sex wedding ceremony? Is that lending their approval if they do so? Would it be considered a grievous sin in God's eyes? Obviously, the sin of homosexuality, sexual immorality, is in fact a grievous sin in God's eyes. And yes, there are varying degrees of sin as mentioned in the Bible. And again, I'll mention the grievousness of Sodom and Gomorrah that God destroyed by fire and brimstone. But let's ask the question, why do we attend a wedding? Why do people invite us to a wedding? Well, people want us there to celebrate something with them or to support them in a commitment, right? You have two people making a lifelong commitment to love one another, to be together. And in the case of a same-sex marriage, you have two people of the same sex basically committing and vowing to continue in their sin and to make that sin permanent. So if we're there in support, they invited us, right, for support. Aren't we supporting that decision to continue in sin, to make it permanent? Aren't we actually celebrating with them, celebrating a grievous sin that God calls an abomination? Our presence, our presence alone there, wouldn't that scream, congratulations for what you are doing. We support you in this sin. We approve of your sin. If that's what your presence there is saying to them, even though they may not be recognizing it as sin, but let's remember, God does. Aren't we, in fact, taking part in that sin at that point? Ephesians 5.11 tells us, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. 2 Corinthians 6.17 commands us, Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And it also goes on to say, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. If God is calling believers to set themselves apart from sin and people and unrepentant sinners and to not take part in the unfruitful works of darkness, which is sin, and we instead take part in them, such as through the same-sex wedding ceremony, are we in fact intentionally disobeying God's clear commandments? And if so, well, what does that say about our spiritual state, right? If God calls us to disapprove of sin, actually to call it out and stand against it, to not participate in it, to come out from amongst those who do not fear God, nor recognize his commandments, nor honor them. What does that say about our spiritual state? Well, here are some Bible verses about that. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. James 1, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Jesus asked. 
John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Matthew 7:21 Not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Luke 11:28 But he said blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. 2 John 2:6 And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. Acts 5:29 But Peter and the apostles answered we must obey God rather than men. Again, for the Christian, attending a same-sex wedding is indeed giving our approval and it's breaking God's righteous commandments. And this is a case where the saying actions speak louder than words, I think it most definitely applies because I don't think you're going to go to that wedding. You know how there's usually a reception line or something in the wedding, right, to give after the ceremony to give your congratulations I don't think you're going to go to that wedding and walk up to them and say, well, I don't approve of this at all. You shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. This is sinful. And this is going to hurt you. Of course not. But again, your presence there speaks volumes. It screams of your approval of their union. You're going to be hugging them and kissing them and drinking and eating and celebrating and dancing and partying at the reception, right? over something that's just taken place that really never should have taken place. And by the way, let's keep in mind, there really is no such thing as same-sex marriage in the end, because God, who is the author of marriage, has defined marriage clearly in his word as between one man and one woman, not two people of the same sex. In fact, a same-sex marriage ceremony blasphemes and makes a very mockery of what God has deemed uh, as a holy union between a man and a woman, right? A marriage. And it's so holy that God used marriage as an earthly representation of something else holy, and that is Christ and his bride, the church. I heard someone say, why can't I go to that wedding? Because they're getting married doesn't affect me or anyone else for that matter. That couldn't be more wrong. Not to get sidetracked here, but but a little bit. If you're not aware of the Equality Act, look into it. Because that Equality Act that they're trying to pass through in our government is going to strip Christians of their religious freedoms. And it's all based on the rights of LGBTQ. You see, the LGBTQ same-sex marriage rights. This is an agenda that's being fought in the civil rights arena. That means it affects you, me, everyone across the board. Because the LGBTQ agenda seeks to not only silence those who disagree, it persecutes people. It's already being done. I just read another article today about this older woman whose her business is being threatened. She's being hauled into court because she didn't want to provide flowers for a same-sex wedding. We have bakers, we have town clerks and florists, and the the list goes on of people who are living out or attempting to live out God's commands, live according to the religious conscience, 
who choose, and it's not like these people can't go get their services elsewhere, but these people are choosing to honor God and they're being hauled into court. They're having their livelihoods taken away. They're, you know, um, they're having their rights stripped. And same-sex marriage also destroys God's familial foundation, his male-female, one-man, one-woman marriage. God uses that foundation to build strong, healthy, and thriving societies and productive, righteous culture. So yeah, this same-sex marriage ceremony taking place, it does affect everyone. Now, is there a risk to standing on the side of God and righteousness, even when it involves a friend or family member? Absolutely. God warns us, God tells us over and over in the Bible of the risks and the hardships and the trials and the tribulations and the persecution that true, genuine believers will, in fact, go through. Let's keep in mind, too, that God sends us various tests of our faith throughout our lifetime. And I would say whether or not as a Christian to attend a gay wedding ceremony is a huge test of our faith and our trust in him. Maybe whether or not we are really indeed in him. Will we choose to please God or will we choose to please man? And some people are choosing to please man out of fear that they'll get their feelings hurt or they'll hurt the other person's feelings, or that other person won't want anything to do, do with them. They're worried, what will people think of me? What will people say? You're telling God, God, I'm sorry, you don't come first. I come first, and these other people. And I'm pretty sure that that, in fact, is idolatry. And as God commanded, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Because again, when we put something or someone equal to or before God biblically, that is idolatry and it's something God forbids in the Ten Commandments. I've seen people attempt to twist scripture or downplay God's words and his commandments or even twist God's character in order to fit their desire, in order to be able to justify doing doing this. That's another form of of idolatry, right? It's making up a God of your own in your own mind. That's, that's a false God. So as Christians who believe God's word, that homosexuality is a sin, who are we really loving if we attend a same-sex wedding ceremony despite our beliefs? I think for a Christian to go to a same-sex marriage ceremony knowing God's stance on it, is more about our own self-preservation than it is supporting the other person, if you think about it. Because again, we don't want to be thought of as bad or be shunned um, or be accused of shunning. But are we really shunning someone if we choose not to go to their same-sex wedding ceremony? Because I look at shunning as this. Shunning someone is to not recognize them as a member of your family at all. Shunning them would be to not love them. Um, to not pray for them, to just cut them out of your life, cut off communication with them, not allow them in your home, not speak to them, to actually probably at that point, you're hating them in your heart, right? That's shunning. So it has nothing to do with not taking part in what God calls the deeds of darkness. And a same-sex wedding ceremony is indeed 
a deed of darkness. We are all guilty at some point in our lives in rationalizing. We're experts at it. And Satan, of course, likes to help us along the way, right? Um, The first sin committed in the Garden of Eden, right? When Satan caused Eve to question, did God really say that? Did he really mean that? He twisted what God meant and then questioned whether he even said it at all. And so there stood Eve, tempted by her own desire to have things her way and doubting God. Instead of setting her own pride aside and do what was best, she took that bite. And who would think that someone taking a bite from a fruit in a garden thousands of years ago, thousands of miles away, would have such an effect on everyone else, but it did. It affected every man and woman and child ever to exist. It separated mankind from God. It put a curse on the earth. It brought for us God's judgments. And same-sex, quote-unquote, marriage, it does the same thing. Yes, it affects you. It affects me. It affects everyone. We have a choice whether or not to attend a gay, a same-sex wedding ceremony Again, as I mentioned earlier, being a test of faith, I would say that this is where the rubber meets the road, right? We cannot have one foot in God's kingdom and another foot in the world. That is unacceptable to God. And I know choices are tough. Our choices are going to become more and more difficult, by the way. This is just the beginning. But Matthew seven fourteen says, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So yes, if you say no, no matter how much you love the person, and again, saying no and refusing to attend may get you persecuted. That person may shun you. They may cut you off. Uh, You know, the family may, whatever, turn on you. I don't know. Different people react different ways. Some may be gracious about it. They're probably more likely to, to not be. Matthew 5.10, though, says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Luke 6.22, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. 1 Peter 3.14, But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. 1 Peter 4.16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Matthew 5.11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. But please don't let yourself be this. Matthew 13.21, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. Please do not succumb to the pressure that others may put upon you in, in the rationalization and justification of doing such a thing as a Christian attending a same-sex wedding ceremony. Romans 8.7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But instead, Hebrews 12.3, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider what Jesus went through. Talk about being shunned and persecuted, right? And maligned. And for what? Not for anything he did wrong. He didn't fear man. He had the truth in his heart. 
and he clung to the truth. Yeah, he suffered for it, but he did it for you and he did it for me. Let's honor Jesus' sacrifice for us. God doesn't promise an easy life, does he? For me, as the days go by, I am feeling more and more like a stranger in this world, like an alien, and like this world is not my home because it's not our home as believers. And the Bible tells us in Mark 8, 34, that we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. Because he says in Matthew 10, 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And here's one, Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, obviously, this isn't saying you hate your family, that you are to hate them, but it uses such strong language to get the point across that your love for God must be so great. Your love in following Christ and for him and for his commandments must be so great that compared to that, you might as well be hating those you love here on earth, your own family. Because Matthew 10, says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Please don't deny Christ before men out of fear, fear of persecution, fear of being shunned. Don't let Satan give you reasons to justify and rationalize why you should go. Again, your presence there says, I approve. You're celebrating with them. You are indeed sinning because you're not coming out and separating yourselves from that, from the works of darkness. And honestly, I don't even think it's so much about... um, being there for your loved one. I think if we really look deep down in our hearts, it's more about us than the other person. Yeah, I know you don't want to hurt the one you love and their feelings may be hurt. They won't understand. But you are just to obey God and leave the consequences to him. You will be more blessed by your obedience to him than your obedience to man. I'd like to end this with talking about Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6, because you could tie this in with it and apply this to it. It says, open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You're not attending the same-sex wedding ceremony of a friend or a family member is not hatred the lack of your presence there could be looked at as rebuke, an open rebuke. As I once heard someone say, charity cannot bear another in sin. And helping them live a holy life is the highest measure of love and friendship. They may not see that now, but who knows what God is going to do in their life later on down the road, right? And you're not being there, that may come to mind, and that may be something that eventually They understand, love, respect, and are so grateful to you for. Going there, knowing what God says, is actually flattering your friend or family member with compliments, despite their error. And it talks about secret love, right? Open rebuke is better than secret love. So open rebuke, okay? You're speaking volumes in not attending. That is a form of open rebuke. I don't approve. This is wrong, and this is not good for you. 
it's going to hurt you eventually, right? I cannot participate in that. I can't go along with you on this because I love you. Secret love. So what is secret love? Well, that would be showing affection or friendship without the courage or commitment to correct another's fault. It's secret. Look at Jesus, how much he loved us, but he was always correcting us, right? We love our children. We correct them, correct? In real love, correction is there. But it's missing if you, knowing better, go to this ceremony to just keep peace or um, not hurt feelings. Okay. Secret love, it's actually called love. It's sarcastic. It's not really, again, it's not love. It's, it's outward flattery and almost like a superficial kindness. And so if it's not love, right, with God, there's one or the other. It's hatred at that point. You may as well hate your loved one if you are not willing at risk to you, but it's not about you, is it? You might as well hate your loved one if you're not willing to risk, if, if you're not willing to give that open rebuke by not going. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Have you ever had a friend kind of tell you like it is and it may be stung a little bit or even a, a loved one, right? They don't do it to hurt you or to be mean, right? They do it because they want to see you grow. Um, they want what's best for you and they don't want to see you get hurt. They love you enough to tell you the truth. And a friend who kisses without correction, knowing that maybe their friend is making some bad choices and you giving kisses anyway, you're an enemy. Just, just like if you're going in, you're in that reception line, you say you hold to the truths of the Bible in regard to homosexuality and you give them a hug or a kiss in that reception line, that's very deceitful. And the Bible says that you are actually their enemy. Sometimes inflicting wounds on those we love for their benefit is proof of true love and true friendship. And who knows, a greater and stronger friendship or love down the road may result. And here are some other just quick comments on it. Again, open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It says here in the Benson commentary, he that takes an ingenious liberty to tell others of their faults and rebukes them freely when need requires to their face is a better friend, a more valuable, though perhaps he may please less than he who hath more of the passion of love in his heart, but doesn't make it known by such good effects, such as reproof. Because the wounds of a friend, when they truly care about you, they, they come from an upright, loving, and faithful heart. But the kisses, the outward professions of friendship without that loving them enough to, to reprove them and just going along for the sake of keeping peace, again, as the Bible says, you, in fact, are their enemy. Let's not keep our love hidden. Let's be true to God. Let's be true to that person, the one who um, may be soon to be getting, quote-unquote, married to their same-sex partner. Be true to them. Don't go along with their sin. And in the process, you're being true to God. I know it's not comfortable, but again, we might want to question our faith if, if we're not experiencing persecution like this, if we're not finding ourselves in some very uncomfortable situations. We might want to question, are we just blending with the world? Because if we are, well, if we're blending with the world, then we are part of the world. Look, I hope this encourages you. And maybe if you know someone 
who is struggling with that, share it with them. Ask God, ask God to give you the strength that it takes to stand firm in the faith. God is a loving God. He loves you. And you know what? He loves that person who is embroiled in a same-sex relationship because they are created in his image. He doesn't love what they're doing and neither should you. You know, Jesus loved sinners. Everybody goes on about, oh, but Jesus, he ate with prostitutes, tax collectors, and they talk all about how Jesus was with sinners and the worst of the worst. And yes, he was. But why do people leave out the part where he admonished them and commanded them to repent and go and sin no more? He always rebuked people, right? I will put on my website a um, list of the Bible verses that I use. I did not go through all the Bible verses that I had written down or I might still be here reading them, but um, I will provide them for you so that you can, again, study them for yourself, share them with others. And if you'd like to comment on this episode, you can do so on my Facebook page called Candles Together. Actually, it's a Facebook group, Candles Together and chime in. I'd love to hear from people um, what your experience has been, if you've struggled with this, and for those of you who have stood your ground, what happened? I'd love to hear what happened. Um, How did God help you through this? Perhaps you can encourage some people who are really, really struggling because, look, we love our loved ones and our friends. We don't want to hurt them. We want to see them happy, right? And that's sometimes a big thing. I just want them to be happy. I've seen parents cave once their child um, came out and said that they were gay. And at first they were upset, but then they just go, I just want them to be happy. They say they're happy. And if this makes them happy, how can I deny that? But the thing is, the Bible tells us that our sin does make us happy especially our our sin makes us happy when we don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Yes, mankind is happy in their sin. God isn't concerned about our earthly happiness, by the way. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to have unity. He wants us to have freedom in him, freedom in Christ. I don't remember Jesus praying for our happiness, but I do remember him praying for us to stand strong, to stand firm, and for us to be united in him. That he did. He wants us to have joy, but that's the joy of our salvation. Our soul, our holiness is God's concern, not our happiness in situations. Um, Because if that were the case, God would never allow us to experience the trials and tribulations, but but he does, right? God is good. He loves you. He will help you through this, help you to make the right decision. How can you be that one little candle then? Well, if, if you're experiencing this exact situation, you can be that one little candle by standing firm in God's truth, by coming out from amongst the world, being separate, letting your love for God and his commandments shine. And when you do that, you will be letting your love for that other person 
shine as well. And if you're not experiencing this, well, pray for those who are. Perhaps you know someone who is. Help them, guide them, support them, pray for them. Obey God's commandments, even if they're hard. And if you're persecuted for it, rejoice. That's how you can be that light. Let others see you rejoicing anyway, loving anyway. You can still love that person and not attend their wedding ceremony. Don't let Satan, this world, and he's the ruler of this world, don't let them tell you otherwise. Song of the Week. I found something very interesting that really spoke to my heart concerning today's episode, and it's on YouTube, and I will provide the link, of course, on my website and in the podcast description. But it's called No Turning Back, and it's a Christian persecution play um, by Cornerstone Asian Church Youth. And I watched it, and I listened to the words and the song, and I thought, wow, it's about persecution, and it's about um, standing firm, but it's also about, in having done so, the seed that was planted in the persecutors. I just think that's really good for today's episode. And another great song is Guilty by the Newsboys. Again, you can see that on YouTube. And I will have the link for that as well in the podcast description. Well, that's about it for today. I really hope, my friend, that that I have helped you or encouraged you or empowered you to make the right decision here. And again, be that one little candle. Maybe you're the only one out of all the people you know who say no to to the same-sex wedding ceremony, you know what? Your light is shining. Your light is shining in the darkness. And that light, it's going to expose the darkness and it might ruffle some feathers, but your light is shining. And God is behind you and for you and with you on this. So you need not fear what anyone else says, does, or thinks in regard to your decision. The creator of the universe has your back. He's pleased with you because you have glorified him. And isn't that what we are all here on this earth for? Is to glorify God. Until next time, you have a good week. Take care and God bless.